Real Men Feel with Andy Grant encourages men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been told, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to engaging in discussions that most men aren't having, but all men can benefit from. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. Now let's get to it. Greetings and salutations, everybody. This is uh, your host, Andy Grant. Welcome to another episode of Real Men Feel. This episode is brought to you by mensgroup.com. They are the leader in online men's groups, allowing you to connect with other men and get support for whatever you're dealing with. The groups are curated, so you'll be with men in similar circumstances to you, be it dealing with a breakup, parenting, isolation, managing emotions, or anything else. Visit mensgroup.com slash RMF for articles, resources, and an opportunity to try a men's group for free. You know, one common challenge I hear from men over and over is a lack of friends and connection. Mensgroup.com slash RMF can change that for you. We all go through challenging times and face adversity. And sometimes, like all of 2020, we go through shared adversity. Uh, the, The same challenge of COVID is hitting the entire planet. Times like these require a tremendous level of adaptability and resiliency from all of us. My guest today is a resiliency expert who's been nicknamed the man who refuses to die. Now, that's that's resilient. Uh, He is a men's health and wellness expert who survived three near-death experiences, including an elective amputation of his right leg below the knee. I'm glad to welcome Arez Arvamov to Real Men Feel. Hey, Andy, and hello, everybody. It's great to be here. Thank you for uh, inviting me to your podcast. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. Um, And this is a question I never thought I would have to ask anybody, but tell me about your life before your first near-death experience. (laughs) Yes, well, it's been a uh, a relatively uh, normal life, if you can call it normal. I mean, I'm originally from Israel, born and raised there. And um, some of you may know, I mean, in Israel, military service is mandatory. It's not uh, something you choose to do or not to do. So from the age of 18 until 21, it's three years for men and two years for women. So for me, I grew up in uh, Jerusalem, very active guy, adventure, outdoors, always loved that kind of uh, environment. I thrived in it. And that propelled me to want to become the best soldier possible. And from a very young age in Israel, we have a very, very professional uh, army and we have, you know, like the Navy SEALs and of course the uh, Air Force and everything in between. And for me, uh, my aim was always, I wanted to serve in the top elite commando unit uh, in the military. So that was a theme that ran in my life uh, until I got selected and uh, served three years in uh, in elite Air Force Commando Unit in uh, Israeli Special Forces. And I think that experience for me really gave me a lot of foundational tools and abilities to deal with what, you know, we call it resiliency. It's kind of a, a more of a buzzword than anything else because what is resiliency? I mean, it's it's tough to define. It's different to every one of us. But the idea of resiliency is basically how do we how do we address change and adversity in a way that it doesn't take us down and completely uh, push us into the dark night of the soul where we can't even climb out of it ourselves? So there's that process that uh, can be developed. It's almost like a muscle. So how old were you the first time you you faced death? Well, for me, I, uh, I now live in Canada. I'm a father uh, and a husband. I have two daughters, a 16-year-old and a 13-year-old. 
Um, and this is my second marriage. My kids are from my first marriage. And we've been in Canada now for 16 years. And I have established myself here as an immigrant. I uh, had a very successful career in real estate. And during that time when I was here, um, I was uh, actually in a very, very, very difficult uh, car accident. Uh, I was, it was a head-on collision with a fully loaded semi-truck. It was snowy conditions here in Western Canada. I live in British Columbia. And uh, my car hit a patch of black ice and just spun out of control, which is not the end of the world. I mean, especially if you live in Canada, you kind of uh, expect to have these experiences from time to time. But this one was different. Uh, the car just completely spun out of control and went back and hit the concrete median that divides the two lanes and actually launched the car up into the air. Uh, I landed on the roof of the car and slid backwards uh, into the opposite lane. And that was my first wake-up call. That was a head-on collision with a semi-truck that I am very, very fortunate to be alive today. Uh, chances were very, very slim. I was in coma for eight days and just fought for my life for uh, uh, that period of time, but was able to stabilize. And that was uh, the biggest change in life that happens in a fraction of a second. And this is what I see today and I connect with a lot of people and especially with men that experience this rapid change because something happens and it doesn't have to be a near that experience, right? I mean, these uh, situations can happen on multiple levels. It could be a relationship that uh, went uh, south. It could be a financial disaster, you know, uh, a loss of a loved one, challenges in work, losing work, COVID-19. I mean, that brought to the surface a lot of things for us, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have, have you always been just naturally adaptable or was it part of the military training that helped you uh, face adversary later on? Like wh where does it come from for you? I think we all have it. I think this is a part of uh, human survival uh, kind of mechanisms that are embedded in our DNA for a lot of us, because life is not challenging to the level of, you know, a commando elite training, for example. I mean, what they do in the military is they, make you connect to that primal part of you, uh, which is all about survival and it's all about performance because they have a system in place that they have perfected it over years and they basically break you down to the level of uh, sometimes you don't even know who you are and what you do anymore. And then they build you up in a way that you can actually function under pressure and you are put under a lot of situations and scenarios that test you all the time. Just to give you an example, I mean, we started a team a group of 1,500 young Israeli fit men that were selected to do these uh, preparation training to go through the uh, selection process. And we ended up 26 by the end of it that actually started active service. Mm. And by the time we finished our active service, there were only 13 of us that made it through. So the system is quite, quite aggressive. Yeah. So I would say you get a good taste of um, adaptation and how to face difficult situation just by being in a military environment. But for most of us, it doesn't really happen. I mean, mm. we're not, we're not uh, exposed to that level of intensity. So it comes in smaller amounts sometimes. But once you're faced with it, there's a process that I've learned because I've been through this experience, unfortunately, three times already. Uh, and especially even, even the divorce was a, a very, very heavy, difficult uh, time in my life 
I was a single dad for a year and a half. And how do you show up for your kids? What do you do? I mean, it's all adaptation, just in different variations. But there's a silver lining for all of that. The, the car accident, it certainly gets your attention. The universe is getting your attention with this, uh, you know, did, did you, did it feel like a message from, from the get-go that, you know, were you doing things you weren't supposed to, you were not taking care of yourself, or was it more um, a test of your own survivability and adaptability in, in the rehab and recovery? Like, like how, how was the gift, like, how, was, how did you feel about it in the moment? Well, my personal belief, and this is something that uh, has been proven for myself, and I know for a lot of people that I talk to and I interview and I work with uh, that have experienced uh, difficult challenges in their life, there are always amazing lessons in any event like this. And again, it it could be life-threatening to that level that when you survive, it opens up a channel that you've never uh, accessed, or it could be anything else that challenged you to a very, very deep level. So for me, it was a blessing in disguise, looking backwards, of course, in retrospect, you know, everything's 2020. But uh, while I was in it, it was a horrific, horrific experience. There was nothing pleasant in it. There was no, uh, you know, positive kind of, oh, it's going to be great. I was completely broken. You know, this accident left me with 10 ribs broken out of 12. My sternum was broken in two places. Both my lungs collapsed. My femur was an open fracture of 17 pieces. Uh, My ankle was shattered. My liver was uh, lacerated. I mean, my prognosis was I was in a wheelchair and the prognosis was I wouldn't be able to walk ever, right? Mm. And doing that during a time where I was a single dad, I dated my current wife, uh, Sonia, um, but we were kind of, you know, dating at the time. Uh, I was pretty much raising my children on my own 50% of the time. That was always the arrangement uh, with my ex-wife. And when that happened, uh, I mean, everything changed in a way that you cannot foresee the future. When you're in a disaster like this, when your life changes, this is where you're tested on a daily basis because you don't know what the outcome will be. And that's where faith comes in. That's where belief comes in. That's where support comes in. And I found it with people that went through similar things like myself, and I was able to connect to them and uh, kind of gain experience and inspiration. And this was the core and the brainchild of a system that I use today. It's called the uh, sphere of influence. And this is something that uh, I work with in my own life, but also with my clients to really help them go through the process. Because the steps of dealing with adversity and overcome it not just to survive, you know, not just to go back to where you were. There's a beautiful opportunity there of transformation, which some people are open to it. Others are, may not see the potential and everything in their mind is, oh, I just want to go back to where life was, Hmm. but there's a bigger message in it if you follow it. Yeah. Because that's a lot of people, even, even now with the pandemic are saying, I want to get back to normal. Like people kind of want to go back to what they were used to, but really there's an invitation for more than that here. Yeah. I mean, there is, I, I found in my life, there is normal, no, no normal when life changes to such degree. Uh, even with COVID, I mean, the normal we had is not going to be the same. It's going to be a different normal. So we can call it the new normal or something like that. But, you know, for what I found was that when my health stabilized and uh, my life started to 
be somewhat more manageable on pain and kind of, I was out of a wheelchair, I was on crutches and everything else. Uh, my ankle was injured so severely, it was deformed. I was disabled because of my ankle now, which everybody thought that would be the least of my worries. Uh, but that inflicted a tremendous amount of pain. I mean, there were months and months of just 24-7 pain, excruciating pain. And talking about adaptability and how we deal with change, for me, it was to look at all options. You know, you kind of become your own researcher. You become kind of a PhD specialist in your area, you know, be that in financials or relationships or health, whatever you're faced with. I'm a great advocate that you have to take responsibility for your journey. You have to learn and be knowledgeable, not to make the decision, you know, instead of a surgeon, but to understand where you're at, because the medical system has a very um, limited bandwidth and they can share with you and tell you certain things that they are aware of. But you have to go outside of that if you're faced with something more uh, complicated. And that was the situation for me. I mean, I was uh, with the surgeons for about a year trying to come up with all sorts of innovative kind of surgeries and ideas to fix my ankle. But the reality was that there was nothing to do with it. And that really led me to make the hardest decision in my life. And I decided to have my right leg below the knee amputated. Mm -hmm. It wasn't from uh, a health concern. So there wasn't anything that, uh, you know, was life-threatening and I had to uh, have it removed. But I wanted my life back. I wanted to get rid of the pain, which doesn't necessarily mean that would happen. I mean, once you chop off a limb, you don't know what happens, right? Mm -hmm. They don't grow back. So uh, you're in that position of getting yourself ready. And that's one of the things that I've learned a lot, that preparation, and that comes from my military days and everything else that I do in business. Preparation is key. I mean, there's no way around it. And uh, the more time you have, the better it is sometimes. But even if you don't have a lot of time, there are specific kind of pillars that have to be put in place in order to address it. So for me, that was very useful. Mm. And and did the amputation, did that resolve the the issues you hoped it would resolve? It actually did. It did. Uh, and I, again, in retrospect, was the biggest gift I could expect it. I, I didn't expect it, to be honest, because during the uh, process of making the decision, I spoke with a lot of amputees and I always choose to go to the positive and to the possibility. I never, I'm not interested in the tragic and in the stress stories and the complicated situation. I just don't bring it into my worldview. I just don't, because what we expose ourselves to, we really become. And it's really, really true. It's not a cliche. Mm. So I spoke with amputees that for me were successful. What does it mean? They were athletes. They were active business people. They were speakers. They were travelers. I mean, their loss of a limb or several limbs didn't impact them in a way that, oh, my God, my life is over and I'm going to stay in bed all day. On the contrary, a lot of them took it and used that as an opportunity to transform their lives. Mm. And that was my driving force. And that is something that I always instill in people that go through difficulties. You have to find something bigger than yourself. You have to really tap into that connection within that it's not just about you. Yes, in the beginning, of course, it is. But to overcome it and to see the opportunities, you have to go outside of it. Mm. Yeah, I often find in my own life and people I talk to that a way to 
initiate a lot of self-healing is to be of service, to, to focus on a bigger picture or serve other people in some way. So that, that's true for you. Yes, that, yeah. was, that was huge because I was exposed to amputees that were my mentors. Mm. And they did it from their heart. They did it from a place of concern. And, and, and it was just a, a beautiful experience on my end because here it is. I mean, what's the beautiful relationship between a good mentor and a mentee, right? I mean, it's someone who has already walked the path that you are on. They've achieved certain results and success or whatever you want to call it. But they are able to go back to the initial stages and relate to where you are initially. Because, you know, when I was about to get the amputation, I mean, some of the amputees I spoke with were 15 years, 20 years into it. They didn't really remember the initial days or what happens and all the rest of it. So uh, that that is something that drove me throughout this whole process. And uh, the recovery due to that was remarkable because I prepared for a year and a half. That was my PhD. I studied nutrition and alternative healing. And, uh, you know, that's the place where I started to really understand the connection of the mind and the body. Mm. And I prepared myself as best I can. Uh, This is how I work uh, my life as well, right? This is how I do business and this is how I I do everything. So that was all good leading to the amputation. But when you're on the um, operating table, and the anesthesia kicks in, this is it, right? I mean, nothing is in your control. And that's a big lesson to understand that there are only certain things that are in our control and the rest is not. And it's very difficult, especially for men, I find it. Uh, We really, really thrive when we feel in control, even though that control is very limited. I mean, we see here it is COVID, right? I mean, what do we really have control over, right? Do you find that, is it actually controlling things that brings uh, a, a man comfort and power, or is it the illusion of controlling things as, as equally as potent? Does that does that serve our needs as well? That's a great question. Uh, I think it's an illusion. I think it's something that we develop for ourselves to feel in control, mm-hmm. because the world doesn't make sense on multiple levels, especially when we are faced with adversity and huge change. Nothing makes sense anymore. We question ourselves. We question our reality, our people, our family, our upbringing. Everything comes up to the surface. So there's a feeling of loss of control in a tremendous way. Uh, My first feeling of that was after my divorce, right? I thought I was here. I am an immigrant and I made it right. I financially was stable, built a house for my family, have two beautiful children, And all of a sudden, this entire relationship breaks apart and nothing is in control now, right? Mm -hmm. So feeling that during that time and then move into the car accident that I felt everything was taken away too. I was in a wheelchair. Prognosis was I would never be able to walk probably. Mm -hmm. And what do you do then? I mean, there's this loss that initially you just want to regain control. You just want to do things you've done before, you know. And, And even if it's a you know, a financial ruin, for example, you just want to earn enough to be where you were. Or if it's a relationship, you just want to bring it back to some sort of stability. Mm. But the reality is that that's not how life works. It's very different. Yeah. Now, I knew you, you, you said you, you always focus on the positive, but at, at some point during the recovery from the car accident or from your own, your amputation, were there times where you were just like, oh, you know, why me? And, and just feeling that, that self-pity? 
Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, we're human. We're not machines, and and, and those questions come up, and they they have a valid. I say always they have a valid time, and a, a, a lifetime in your life to question, to ask why, why me, why did it happen, did I do anything? But at the end result is I always find it, and this is for me at least, and with a lot of people that I work with, it's irrelevant. These are actually questions that take you exactly the opposite way. When something serious happens in your life and you start to ask yourself, why me, why did it happen, and all the rest of it, it will bring you some solace in terms of maybe a psychological understanding, a process, maybe there are patterns that are repetitive, maybe there's a certain way you walk in this world that brings these situations into your life. That's the validity that I would definitely say it's uh, something beneficial. But in terms of recovery and moving forward, it is useless. It is actually an anchor. Uh, you know, I, I attest this like it's like a, a mooring line of a boat that is anchored in the uh, harbor, right? And you, the engines are on and you want to go forward, but those ropes are just not going to let you go. And unless you sever them and you decide to shift and move forward, there is very, very slim chance that that momentum will be fast enough to overcome what you're faced with. And then you, you're stuck in it. It's like, a, you know, a hamster wheel. Mm. You, you see a little bit of movement and progression, and all of a sudden something comes at you and poof, you crash again and fall into depression. And I mean, I've been there. I've been depressed like hell. I had suicidal thoughts. You know, uh, I had lost faith in life. I have lost faith in people. I've lost a lot of people throughout these accidents. Uh, they just couldn't cope. And I didn't understand it. I said, why? Well, what's the problem? You know, I'm the same guy and whatever. But it wasn't. You know, it, what I went through was a reflection sometimes for, for them. And they just don't, didn't want to be in that environment. And today I understand it, again, in retrospect. But while I was in it, it felt like a huge loss. It was yeah. very difficult. Hmm. So you survive the, the car accident and you choose to have the amputation to, to really rid yourself of, 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 of more pain and potentially just a, a never-ending life of pain. And you're an adventurous, outgoing guy. So now as an amputee, you got into some adventurous activities, didn't you? <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, I mean, my recovery was um, quite astonishing, to be honest, again, in retrospect, because it didn't went completely, you know, uh, challenge-free because I had some um, infection in the uh, amputated uh, residual limb and it took months to recover from that. So I couldn't receive a prosthetic leg to walk on for three months. Uh, but at that time, I already started to prepare myself and, and uh, it was a matter of time of when things will recover and I'll be able to start. So I, again, very, very diligent preparation, mental, physical, based on nutrition, based on exercise, within the capacity of what I could do at the time. But when I received my uh, prosthetic leg, I was able to walk the first day with no aids. Uh, the second day, I was already riding a bicycle. And the day after that, I drove a car. So all of a sudden, I looked at it and said, oh, this is actually not too bad, right? And then I started to pursue some other outdoor activities that I love to do. I love skiing. So I've uh, went back to ski um, as an amputee and I fulfilled the life dream of mine to ski with my daughters because when the accident happened, they were very little. They didn't ski at the time, but during my recovery and everything, those three years, they actually started to ski. So my 
big dream was to be able to do that with him. And, and I was able to do that. And that opened up again, a passion in my life. I, I love motorcycles. I'm very, very passionate about them. I rode motorcycles all my life, on-road and off-road. I just love the connection and the state that you're in when you ride a motorcycle. For me, it's not about speed. For me, it's about the means of travel and the places it takes you. And you just, you're in the scenery, you're, the wind is in your face, you smell everything, you're just you know, five inches from the ground. And, and it's just this remarkable freedom for me. So I wanted that again, and I uh, decided to try and ride motorcycles again. And I uh, almost killed myself trying to do that because as an MPT, it's not really the easiest thing to do. Uh, but uh, yeah, adaptation uh, took uh, first uh, the front and uh, I adopted my bike and I decided to ride off-road again. And the bike was adjusted to uh, my needs. And I, I saw, I love enduro. Enduro, it's a very technical type of, it's like mountain biking, but on a motorcycle. Very, very technical terrain and very challenging. And I, I just love it. I love the connection. This is from my military days. Uh, this engagement with physicality and nature is something I enjoy. So um, I went back to ride off-road motorcycles. And that opened up my uh, biggest dream uh, on, on an external goal, and that was to race the toughest, longest off-road race in the world. It's called the Dakar Rally. It's like the Everest of off-road motorcycling. It's uh, seven days, 9,000 kilometers, very, very challenging, extreme type of adventure race, and uh, I wanted to race it, and I realized that as an amputee, first of all, nobody has done it on a motorcycle, and second of all, I was so... Um, good at being able to control the bike and do everything that I decided to pursue that. So that was a year and a half of uh, Olympic training and um, focus on, on that target big time. Wow. So let me get this, I to clarify this because it's hard to believe. So this was not an amputee motorcycle race at all. No, no, no. This is a normal, <laughs> no, normal right. able-bodied race. Yes. So what did the organizers think when you, you know, first applied or, or tried to enter this. Yeah. So they had amputees and uh, disabled people do it in motor vehicles, you know, either assisted or uh, they were able to operate the machine. Mm -hmm. So it's not something that completely was never done, but nobody ever tried to do it on a motorcycle. Mm -hmm. So for me, realizing that that was the first, could be the first opportunity in, in the history of that race to do it as an amputee, uh, kind of got me a lot of uh, media attention and sponsorships and training all over North America and everywhere else, which was a beautiful experience. Uh, but it was intense, motor uh, riding motorcycles, especially high speeds. And these desert races, you use a navigation instrument on your handlebars. So you're always looking at the navigation tower and the terrain ahead of you, and you try to make sense of it all. So on a motorcycle, I mean, one mistake and you're out, right? Mm, right. And that was my second year death experience, actually. It was that mistake because <laughs> it came about, uh, yeah, again, you don't expect them, but uh, I was racing in Mexico, in Baja, one of the uh, pre-qualifying races. And uh, I had a great time, really. I just enjoyed every minute of it. I was euphoric. Here I am riding a motorcycle with a prosthetic leg. I'm living my dream and nothing stops me. And it's possible. And it is possible. 
but one mistake and I hit an obstacle and the bike launched into the air. I lost control, of course, flew over the handlebars. And while I, I was in the air, this is how surreal it is, right? So I see my bike flipping next to me and I'm kind of in the air. And I told myself, if I come out of this alive, I'm done. I mean, what am I doing? I have a beautiful wife, beautiful daughters, beautiful life. After everything I went through, why am I risking my life again to such degree, right? And uh, I crashed on my back, broke seven ribs, punctured my lung, dislocated my shoulder, broke my hand, and managed to get out of it. But that was a realization that these goals, these physical goals, have room for recovery, right? This is what helps us recover. But um, they're not for the long run. Hmm. Definitely not for the long run. So d- how did you answer that question of, you know, why am I risking my life again? How, what, what, what was your answer? I'm sure you pondered that often. For sure. And again, in retrospect, um, it fulfilled something for me as a man. I wanted to prove myself that even though I'm an amputee, I am not disabled. I can do whatever I want. Even the biggest challenge, the physical challenge I could imagine physically, I can still do it. Uh, it, it, it supported my ego. It supported my manhood. It gave me recognition from other people. Uh, and I was just in the weird world of this whole experience, just intoxicated by it all. And to be honest, it served me very, very well because when you get hit to that degree, and it doesn't matter what happens to you, as I said, it doesn't have to be these extreme accidents and uh, life-threatening situations. You have to, in order to overcome whatever you're faced with, you have to take your life to the next level. You have to put in front of you a goal that is beyond your reach. And the one you choose, it depends on you. You know, I chose a physical goal. Others choose different types of goals. But I find it as a very, very powerful vehicle for transformation, for coping, uh, because it makes you do things that without it, you wouldn't necessarily do. I got the fittest I've ever been because of that race. I got the sharpest and the most time productive and uh, strategic planning abilities that I've ever had that served in, in across life after that as well. Right. So there are lots of benefits to it, but I decided to uh, drop it after that. So it really is a, a, again, a message of enjoying the journey, not the destination. So you, you, you know, it could be seen that you, you didn't make it to that destination. You didn't make it to that goal, but you yes. reaped a lot of benefits along the way. Yeah, and I think that the destination itself, again, for me, and I'm sure for a lot of your listeners probably that go through different challenges, it is true. It is about the journey because there is no destination. Even if there is a destination, it's it's a milestone. It's not really a destination, you know, recovery or, you know, uh, managing some sort of financial disaster or a relationship issue. Those are milestones that are just part of the journey itself. And when you show up to these journeys with an open mind and with curiosity and with enthusiasm, because there's so, so much gold in the process. And I know at the beginning, it's very difficult to see it. This is why mentorship is so important. This is why peer support is so important. People that have been there, done that, and they can reflect on you where you are, and they can also share with you what's coming. You know, for me now, when I work with men, I know exactly what the obstacles they're going to face. It's like a textbook, right? And they all hit them one by one by one. by. But now, you know, okay, this is going to come up. 
This is how you can prepare for it. This is how you'll deal with it. This is the difficulties that will show up. And then you have more confidence in the process, which allows you to, at the end, transform the situation into something beneficial instead of being a victim of it. So you've successfully avoided death once, take on more physical, new challenge to give yourself motivated and enthusiastic and make some changes and escape death again. And now at this point, you've kind of sounds like you you retire from the extreme sports. You, you retire from courting death, perhaps. Yes. <laughs> and but yet there's another near death experience for you. Yeah, because uh, sometimes, you know, to really uh, learn, you have to uh, go through the lesson several times. But for me, you know, I stopped chasing the physical realm because I realized that as a young man, and especially because of my military service, what they do in the military service, they take away fear. They take away intuition of that red line to levels that are just not humane. They really are not. So the risk levels soldiers in that capacity are able to take look insane to someone from the sidelines because it doesn't make sense. But it's all about, you know, risk and skill, kind of this play. The more skill you have, the more risk you take, but it seems to be less risk because your skill level is so high. So it's this endless roller coaster that you always uh, chase. But for me, I realized at the time that this need to prove myself, this need for adrenaline, this need for intense physicality um, is something that I can live my life with a lot less of that in a much healthier, connected, and more at peace. Because what I was looking for was inner peace. Mm. All of those things that I did, and a lot of us do in these situations, are to find something that will bring us that inner peace. And after the second near-death experience, I actually found it because I went into these two beautiful years. I call them my inner Dakar. And those were remarkable years. I studied with the best uh, teachers and doctors and spiritual leaders. And uh, I studied nutrition to a very high level and physical activity. And again, the mind, I was always fascinated by the mind and how we behave and why we do certain things and what makes us tick and all of that. So it was just a remarkable, remarkable journey. And that was the brainchild of the Life Rebuilder Academy. The Life Rebuilder Academy is an educational hub that I teach people how to, you know, it's not even deal with adversity. It's how to take a challenge and turn it into an opportunity, but not in a, you know, kind of a rudimentary way but actually show up to it in a way that can actually be useful for you, for your family, for your future goals. And these are all customized journeys. I work one-on-one and really give people the roadmap of what's possible, how to get there, what the obstacles are going to be, and kind of together uh, walk this path uh, into something much, much bigger that initially they can't even imagine. They can't even dream it's possible. And that was my journey. That was this beautiful process of the Life Rebuilder Academy where I knew, just like yourself, and and we shared this in a previous conversation, when you become of service, when you have something very unique and very authentic to share with others, not to change their life, not to make them wrong and you're right, or nothing to do with it. It's just to bring a different perspective and an ability to maybe look at life from a different angle that allows them to say, all right, you've just changed a certain belief or a certain way I look at the world, and now they can take that process and shift and move on. So 
that was that beautiful process of two years. But here it is. Two years into it, I had a full-on heart attack out of the blue. I can't say completely out of the blue. I mean, I was re-rendered a month before, and that probably was a trigger that released all the stressors in my body. I, mm. My condition deteriorated over a month to not being able to speak clearly, not being able to read, like I lost cognitive abilities. There was something going on on a very, very deep level. The doctors didn't know what it was, but the end result of it was a full-on heart attack. I was 45 at the time, and if I wasn't two blocks away from the hospital, because I was at the chiropractor that was supposed to help me with the whiplash <laughs> for my back, um, I probably wouldn't be here speaking to you uh, today. So that was a very... Um, uh, th this was this was what I call my real, real near-death experience because I was on the edge. I was on the edge of letting go. And I do understand a lot of people today where they have, you know, heart attacks or strokes or things like that, where it's a very strange place to be in. And, you know, it's not that I saw, you know, angels and the white light and I went through the tunnel. I don't know. Some people describe it that way. For me, it was very, very real. And it was my children and my wife that brought me back that I, I wanted to fight for them. Because if it was just me, I would say, listen, I mean, look at you. You're broken. Look at what you went through. I mean, okay, you had a good run. Move on, right? And that inner power, that motivation, that vision that I want to be with my kids, I want to see their children, I want to be a grandfather, kept me alive. And it really did. So that heart attack, it happens in a fraction of a second. Within 75 minutes, I, they put a stent in me that saved my life. But that opened up another journey of healing and recovery and fear and loss. And that was on a whole different level. Mm. Totally. Mm. So does it feel like three times the lessons have been learned or like, do you, do, I mean, really, do you, do you worry about this? Is this a concern that this is your pattern or, or not? So what I've learned to understand is that when we are challenged, that challenge is given to people that can handle it and we all can handle it. I don't care what your situation is, what your circumstances are. There are no excuses. There are no selected few that can deal with it and you can't, oh, look at him or her, she did it. No, it's not that. I truly believe that when we are handed these challenges, they are there for us to learn and grow with. So for me, this is part of life. Listen, I have experienced it on an extreme level, for sure. The lessons I received, I would never trade them for anything in life, right? Ever, 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 ever. This is what gave me now the platform that I use and, and real lessons based on real life results, not just theories and psychology. And it's just how life works with us. And look at where we are, COVID-19. I mean, come on, this is global now, right? So I think it's uh, something that we can all handle in a way that can help us. Yeah, I wanted to ask, like, why why do you think we as human beings get, get tested? Why why do these challenges seeming seem to happen to us? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't th I, I don't think it's anything. Uh, any, there's anything wrong with it. This is life. I mean, this is real life. Life changes. Life will test us on many levels. Life has a lot of uncertainties for us as humans. We 
We think we have, again, it goes back to the conversation we had about control. We think we have control. We think we can build a life and everything will be on schedule and as we used to, and it's never the case. Um, I, don't, I don't look for reasons. I don't think it matters. I think that the experience that you're going through is your opportunity to show up and do something unique for yourself and for your family. And that's your opportunity. And it can be, and it always comes in devastating packages, right? Mm -hmm. Financial ruins, medical situations, breakups. I mean, unfortunately, you know, I have, I've been involved in, in the spiritual community for a while. And, and there's always these people that say, oh, no, 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 no. You can do life so calm and peaceful and no challenges and all that. I'm sorry, I haven't met a strong person that has really understood the dynamics of life, not understand life. I don't think anybody can understand it, but uh, that didn't go through these immense challenges that brought to the surface everything else to deal with. And then the outcome was uh, those beautiful lessons. It's just the way it goes. So, so like you, I do, I do, I do believe that there, there is a gift in all adversity. Every challenge, every challenge has the solution in it. There, there's something to gain. But why do some people miss seeing those gifts? That's again a great question. And from what I've seen so far, and I don't know if it, you know, applies to everybody. But I think sometimes when you are hit so hard, you lose perspective. And if you didn't see the opportunity before that disaster happened to you, and you have a tendency to be more, you know, I don't like to use those words, you know, I've become a victim of the situation, or whatever, but the situation takes over, right? It controls you and you lose control of everything, right? You know, something that I teach is the sphere of control. You can always control what you hold in your hands how you feed your body, how you feed your mind, that's in your control. And that's the steps that you can take in order to overcome what you are challenged with. But some people that are unable to see that this way, I think it's a lack of perspective. It's not that something is wrong with them. It's not that they don't have the inner strength to do it. They just weren't exposed to the opportunity in it. And, and podcasts like yourself and the work that you do and everything around it just plants a seed in our minds to say, you know what, even if this horrific thing happened, and I use my life story, three near-death experiences, you know, I, I tell the story and I think this is like, uh, what is it, this story from, from you know, uh, Hollywood or something. This is not real. It's not real life. It can't be real life. It's my life. But it is so true that when you start to look at it from that perspective, you will find ways to um, overcome it and, and, and use it for growth. Yeah. Yeah, we say... You you can't change anything until you're aware of it. So much like saying, if, if you're not aware that there could be a gift, you're not yes. even, it's not a possibility. It's not, a, it's beyond mindset. It's just not, it's not possible because you're not aware mm -hmm. that it could be. That's right. And That's people right. that just accept, oh, you know, again, life happened to me. I'm a victim. I have no control. And so much like there's always something to be grateful for. There's, there's, you're saying there's always, there's always something that you can control. Mm-hmm. It's just so it's it's might start your coming back up to control feeling in control of your life more begins with noticing those those smaller things. Yeah, yeah. And for me, it comes with control of the body. That's the first physical area that you can take control over because you can decide what you eat and what you feed yourself with. We know today scientifically it's proven, but it's been known for centuries 
There's a direct connection between our gut and our brain. You know, the microbiome that we see today is like the second brain in our uh, body is a huge, huge, huge facilitator of emotional healing and mood control and everything else. So you can change the way you see the world by how you eat. This is how fundamentally mind-blowing this is. But for a lot of people, we just don't see the powering. Oh, what are you talking about? I'm going to, I'm going to eat just lettuce and life will change. No, that's not the case. But you eat, you feed your body in a way that it can use those nutrients to allow the mind to become clear. And only then when the mind is clear, now you can start and look at different perspectives and start and shift. So for me, that's the entry point. It's always through the body. This is my speciality is in health and wellness because when this machine functions properly, this can start and work properly. Then our thoughts, our emotions, and everything we do is related. And now we can see the opportunity instead of not being able to even uh, acknowledge it. Mm, cool. Well, Rez, I, I'm, I'm certainly glad you're still here. And I hope the, you are not challenged yourself in those ways going forward. Maybe you still find plenty of gifts. Thank you. And, and we, we, we really rushed through your, your very deep and powerful story. So, so what's the best way for people to, to get in touch with you, to learn more about you and, and the Rebuilder Academy? Mm-hmm. So I'm always very, very available and I'm uh, accessible. So people can find me either through my website, erezavramov.com, social media, you know, Instagram, Facebook, I'm there uh, under the same Erezavramov. And if they want to reach out, my phone number, I always am glad to give it to people. That's how uh, approachable I am. It's not something I hide behind or anything. That's my direct number. And it's uh, 604-767-2032. And I always encourage people, they can text, they can call. Um, I, I, I love to see where they're at. And if there's a room for me to help them, then even better. All right. Beautiful. And uh, if We'll be sure to have links to all that and the number. And if you didn't catch it right now, visit realmenfeel.org in the, the show notes for this for this episode. We'll have all the ways you can reach out, uh, go deeper into the story, and and perhaps work with Arez to to rebuild, to discover and overcome the challenges in your life and to, to see the gifts um, and really to enjoy the journey. Uh, you know, I, I find for Myself, I spent years just in victimhood and did believe that life happened to me. But no, we are are all powerful creators and we can be creating kind of unconsciously without really knowing it or we can take control and uh, create more consciously. So true. Cool. So you got anything coming up that you that uh, you that you have a goal that have you excitement around what what, what's getting you uh, fueled up right now? Well, one, there are two things. One of them is uh, I'm going to do a TEDx talk in Vancouver, Canada next year, which is uh, a big undertaking and, and a big goal for me. So that's going to be a beautiful process to go through. Uh, I'm writing my book. So that's another big goal. It's just another deep experience on, on, on multiple levels. And the Life Rebuilder Academy is growing. I mean, today, uh, one of the areas that I found, especially after my heart attack, is that there is a huge gap for men between what the medical system can provide them and what are the real opportunities that they have. So I've created a program called the Heart Guardian System. And it's a program where men that suffer either from heart disease or high cholesterol, high blood pressure, high blood sugar, they're challenged with a health condition and they're looking for a way to get it under control. And again, not to heal it completely. I mean, some of these uh, conditions uh, are are difficult to work with, but how to get, get it under control 
and move with it to the next level. So that's uh, a program that I just launched earlier this year. Beautiful. And there's more to come uh, early next year. Always more to come. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, again, thanks, Arez, for, for being here, sharing your time and your story. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Visit realmenfeel.org. We'll have links to everything that Arez is up to. You can go deeper and see if uh, what connects with you and um, to, to get your resiliency back on track. This episode of Real Men Feel is brought to you by mensgroup.com. Visit mensgroup.com slash RMF for more information and an opportunity to try Men's Group for free. Could be another way to increase your your resiliency and to enjoy life more and take control. Uh, Until next time, be good to yourself. Thank you for listening to Real Men Feel. Contact us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Learn more about author, coach, and healer Andy Grant at theandygrant.com. If you enjoyed this episode, it would help us greatly if you gave a review wherever you are listening right now. It takes less than a minute and helps other people discover Real Men Feel.